This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Anyway, and as a servant, this Jewish boy would have done duties for him, like cook the centurion's food and clean up his house and polish his armor and go run errands, whatever is needed. And, and obviously, this, this centurion has come to love this little Jewish boy. And, and maybe this Jewish boy was a believer, as, as was often the case with the poor class, like the slaves. They were the ones who gravitated toward the Lord Jesus. We can imagine conversations it's interesting just to think of the conversations that might have happened between the centurion and this Jewish boy that he's come to love. We can imagine, uh, imagine these conversations. We can imagine uh, another scene. As we think about that, we can think about another scene of a young Jewish girl. She's just a girl, a young Jewish girl. She's a slave. She's a slave to another foreign captain, a Syrian a young Jewish girl also works in the home of, a, of the captain, Captain Naaman. Her job is to wait on Captain Naaman's wife. And it broke the heart of the little Jewish girl that Captain Naaman was a leper. And she told Captain Naaman's wife about the true God. And she told her about the God of Israel and how there was a great prophet named Elijah who could heal Captain Naaman. It says that in 1 Kings 5.2, 1 Kings 5.2, the Syrians had gone out by companies and brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of this leprosy. I've oftentimes thought of this little Jewish girl. I mean, I think about child evangelism when I think of this little Jewish girl, a slave in a Syrian home. She's just a little Jewish girl. And when she was taken as a slave, she was all alone. And she was over there in Syria. She doesn't have her mother or father with her. She's just all, no family. She's all alone. But she's not really alone because this little girl had learned to trust the God of Israel. I mean, she never forsook him and he never forsook her. And she's going about her job. She's working for Captain Naaman's wife. 
But God's with her as she's doing that. And God gives her the boldness. What chutzpah, what boldness. This little girl is not afraid to speak about the true God, the God of Israel, when nobody supportive is around her. This little Jewish girl makes a decision to not hate and not be bitter at the Syrians who had slaughtered the Israelites. And the only reason she's alive is because she was taken as a slave, probably killed her family. Little girl, the little girl struggling with this triumphs over her own anger and she makes a key decision. I'm gonna love my captors. I want the best for my captors. So at great risk, she speaks to them about the true God of Israel. She looked at Naaman's leprosy and she didn't say serves him right for leading all the army to kill my people, just the opposite. She looks at Naaman's leprosy and she feels the pain of Naaman's leprosy and she wants with all her little heart for Naaman to be cured from his leprosy. And that's amazing. And this little Jewish slave boy is in the home of the centurion and he wants his master to come to eternal safety by trusting in the God of Israel. We can imagine conversations between the Roman centurion and the Jewish boy. They talk about God as they talk about God. And the little Jewish boy has been a faithful, obedient servant to the centurion. And the centurion has come to love him. And now this little Jewish boy is sick. He's deathly sick. And this big, mighty centurion has sat by the little boy's bed with tears running down his face. And we can imagine someone has come in and told the centurion, a prophet of God, the Jewish prophet of God has, well, everybody's Jewish, but they came to, he's come to town. He has healed the leper. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. We can imagine the centurion saying, Jesus of Nazareth, a healer of sickness, a Jewish prophet, and he rushes out of the house, the centurion rushes out of the house and finds the elders to go and find Jesus as he's entering town and they find the Lord. And we can clearly see what caused that centurion to go out and find the Lord. Only one thing, trouble. It was trouble. It was the trouble of his dear servant boy that was lying in agony on his deathbed. That was his trouble. A trouble drove the centurion to go find the Lord. That's what drives any of us to go find the Lord. Trouble. Trouble in the home, trouble at work, trouble in the world, trouble in fear. That's what drives anyone to come to the Lord just like it did for the centurion, driven to the Lord by trouble. And the first word out of the centurion's mouth is Lord. The centurion, and clear from what he said later about you have authority and your words is your command. The centurion is a meaning when he says, Lord, you are God. Jesus is God. That's the most important doctrine about Jesus, that he is God. No other doctrine about the Lord is more important than the doctrine that Jesus is God. I was last week interviewed by a Jewish organization to determine eligibility for Israeli citizenship, and they wanted to know if I was a member of another religion. Of course not. I don't have any religion. And so the question posed to me, right between the eyes, not as if I went to a church, not as if I was a member of another religion, just one question, do you believe Jesus is God? Wow. That's what the whole interview boils down to. Do you believe Jesus is God? 
Do you believe Jesus is God? Not do you wear a cross? Do you believe Jesus is God? Okay, later I'll tell you my answer. <laughs> this is what the centurion affirmed with his one word, Lord. He believed that Jesus was God. Now, this was a day for the Lord, it was a very hard day, very exhausting day. He has just delivered a sermon on the mount. He has just gone through the emotional drama of the leper, curing the leper, and he's tired. He's just tired. He's going into Capernaum, and, and he's maybe looking forward to something to eat, something to, I don't know. He's tired. But here comes this request, a boy's sick. And without any hesitation, he says, I'll, I'll come. I'll come and heal him. Immediately after the centurion through the others poured out his heart to the Lord, the Lord says, okay, I'm going to go. I'll come. The Lord was definite that he said, I will come and heal the boy. And that was all the centurion needed to hear, that the Lord would heal the boy. The Lord said, I will. The centurion understood the willingness of the Lord to heal. There was no hesitation on the part of the Lord to heal. And we've already seen how, from these two first miracles, how this is a message that's being sent that the Lord Jesus is the answer for hopelessness. Well, there's another message in this second miracle, and that is the second miracle, again, a healing of a boy who's ready to die, is on death's door. And really, the second message here is, of course, his willingness to heal. But this is a particularly disease. So is leprosy, but this is a particularly special disease. It's not like a lame hand. It's not like a blindness. It's not like a person who can't walk. This is a healing which is special because this disease is all about the verge of death. All disease is the beginning of death, but this disease in its stage here is on the verge of death. So this miracle is about saving a person from death. It's very dramatic here, this person about to die, so it's very clear that the healing of this boy represents a miracle of saving a person from death, saving the boy from death. And by doing this miracle, the Lord is affirming his mission to abolish death. That's his mission. He said in Luke 9.56, Luke 9.56, the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's life, but to save them, save them. Isaiah 25.8, Isaiah 25.8, he will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord will wipe away all tears from all eyes and rebuke of his people to take away from off, from off all the earth, for the Lord has spoken it. Hosea 13.14, Hosea 13.14, he says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. 2 Timothy 1.10, 2 Timothy 1.10, but now is made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now, we can be very sure that when the people were there and they heard the Lord say in verse seven, I will come and heal him, that everybody said, great, what an offer. The great prophet and healer is offering to go to the house of the centurion and heal his servant. Wow, what a great offer. And then we can imagine what a shock to hear the centurion's response, a little bit later, but centurion's response to this great offer, 
in Matthew 8, 8, Matthew 8, 8, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldst come unto my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. Everybody's like, what? The centurion has just turned down the offer of the great prophet and healer to come to his house? And everyone was thinking that, well, for sure, the centurion's house is by far the nicest house here in, in Capernaum. He held a very high position. He would have had a very nice house. He had already built a very beautiful synagogue for the Jewish people. He's gonna, he's gotta, he's gonna have a beautiful stately house of an authoritarian. And now for the centurion to turn down the offer of the Lord to come under his, under his roof, it was shocking. And the centurion then immediately explained, immediately explained that it was not that he wasn't appreciative of the Lord to offer to come to his house, but he was just filled with a sense of guilt and a sense of unworthiness. The centurion felt so guilty, he felt so unworthy. So the response of the centurion, here he is, he's getting close to the Lord, and he has, he's, he has this flood of feeling of guilt and unworthiness that's very typical of what we see in others. When the centurion got close to the Lord, he was filled with a feelings of guilt and unworthiness. And this is what happens. This is what happened to the prophet Jeremiah, to the prophet Jeremiah. In the case of the prophet Jeremiah, when he got close to the Lord, he remembered his youth. He remembered all the stupid things that he did, all the sinful things that he did when he was young. And he cried out in Jeremiah 31, 19, Jeremiah 31, 19, surely after that I was turned, I repented. And after that I was instructed, I smote my thigh. He hit his thigh. I was ashamed, even confounded, confused, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. Many, many terrible, sinful things are done with the thigh when in youth. And he remembered those things, and he hit his thigh. He was so ashamed. And Job, this was the response of Job in Job 42, Five, Job 42.5, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself in, and repent in dust and ashes. And he repented. This was a response of Peter in Luke 5.8. Luke 5.8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. All these similar response of the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 6.5, Isaiah 6.5, then said, I woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. He sees the king and he feels, my mouth, so filthy. Godly men, and when they saw the Lord, they were filled with this feeling of guilt in unworthiness. This is what's going to happen to Israel. This is what's described about what will happen to Israel in Ezekiel 36.31. Ezekiel 36.31 says, Then shall you remember your own evil ways. You'll remember your own evil ways, your doings that were not good, and shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and for your abominations. So this is a real point here of transformation. This is the point of transformation that the prodigal son experienced when it says in Luke 15, 18, Luke 15, 18, I will arise and go to my father 
and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. And when he did come, that's what he planned, and when he did come in Luke 15, 20, Luke 15, 20, the prodigal son, it says, he arose and came to his father, but when he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. That's the point of transformation. When the sea, getting close to the Lord and knowing guilt and unworthiness. But there's a danger to that also. There's a danger of feeling so much weight from the feeling of guilt and unworthiness that it could create a barrier to going to get help from God. In other words, the centurion in the presence of the Lord and feeling so guilty and so unworthy, he was in danger of just leaving, just leaving the presence of the Lord. Like Peter said, depart from me, I'm leaving. This is a, and this is a wonderful aspect of the centurion's faith. I mean, here we see the fighter, the soldier, the centurion fighter soldier, he's fighting. He's caught in a battle, a battle between his own feelings of guilt and unworthiness that are telling him, go, and also the other side, the feelings of his confidence in the Lord's power to heal, which are telling him, come. So he's got the feelings of guilt and unworthiness and is telling the centurion, go away, leave, the presence of the Lord, go in silence. And he's got this other force, which is his confidence in the power and the willingness of the Lord to heal the, the servant. And that feeling is telling him, come, come, uh, come, go to the Lord. So he's in this battle between the feelings to leave the Lord in silence and his feelings to stay and request from the Lord. And the centurion fighter is fighting this battle inside. And the solution is, the confidence in the Lord wins, it wins. And uh, so he says it this way, don't come under my roof because I'm unworthy, but just speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. What a beautiful prayer, what a great prayer. Speak the word only and this shall be done. Centurion wanted just a word, he just wanted a word, that's all he said. He said, just give the word and then that's all I need. What an example for us, what a beautiful prayer. Speak the word only. It's an example for us, we come to the Bible, great prayer, great prayer, speak the word only. Give me a word, give me a word of assurance, give me a word of answer. Lord, this morning, I'm troubled, I need a word from you that I can rest on. Give me the word and I know you're gonna take care of it all. Like the hymn says in the hymn, Spirit of God descend upon my heart, where it says, I ask no dream, no prophet ecstasies, no sudden rending of the flesh, the veil of clay, no angel visitant, no opening skies, but take the dimness of my soul away. No signs, nothing extraordinary, just speak the word only. So what the, the centurion is saying is that if you speak the word, it'll have two effects. First, for my servant, he'll be healed. Second, for me, I'll have peace, because I'll believe it. And these weren't just empty words for the centurion uh, when he says, speak the word only. 
Because then he explained, he went on to explain what he meant. And he, he says, I only needed a word because he says in verse 9, look, I'm, I'm under authority. I have soldiers under me. I say to this man, go, he goeth. To another, come, he cometh. And to my servant, do this, he doeth it. So what he's saying here is that I know who you are. I know you are the almighty God, the almighty Lord of hosts. You have myriads of angel servants just waiting for your command. All you have to do is speak. It's done. He's saying that he believed the Lord Jesus was the God of creation. He's saying, I believe you spoke worlds into existence with just your word. Like it says in Psalm 33, 9, Psalm 33, 9, he spake, it was done, he commanded, it stood fast. Psalm 33, 6, Psalm 33, 6, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. Hebrews 11, 3, Hebrews 11, 3. By, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God and that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Psalm 148.5, Psalm 148.5, let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded they were created. And last, Romans 4.17, Romans 4.17, God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. So he calls things which aren't there, and then they were there. You know, for example, he says, let there be light. And the angel says, what's light? And then all of a sudden there was light. So what faith this centurion had and what the faith of the centurion did for him is it enabled the centurion to take the past power of God that he understood through creation and project it onto his current need. That's what faith is. Faith is creative in that way. Faith was, for the centurion, he was thinking, if God just with his word spoke things into existence that never existed before, then that same word can speak health into my servant. And the Lord listened to the reasoning, because that's reasoning in verse nine. He listened to the reasoning of the centurion and he just stood there, he marveled. He couldn't believe it. And then he spoke to others around him, but that's what it says in verse 10. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. So the Lord Jesus hears what the centurion says, and he marvels. It's amazing to see God marvel. He marvels, he just stands there, he's astonished. He's admiring the centurion's faith. I mean, this is a scene that we wanna just stop and capture a little bit. In our minds, the Lord standing there, stunned, marveling, astounded, I mean, there stood the Lord who had seen all the glorious beauty of every part and every animal on planet Earth that you and I haven't seen. And there he stands, and he's seen every part of every planet in the universe that you and I haven't seen. I mean, there stood the Lord. He's seen all the glory of all the wealth of the world that man has accumulated. He has, there stood the Lord. He's seen all the glorious achievements of man. He's seen all the seven wonders of man and more. And there stood the Lord marveling with admiration at a centurion's faith. And he says, I haven't found so great faith, he says. Those are his words he used, so great faith. And when the Lord said he hadn't found that, that means that he was looking for it, but he didn't find it. Just as he's looking for that faith today in you and I. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.